Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, or if nothing else, a decent Christmas, or at least a, a Christmas that wasn't horrible. Either way, we are here, and since we last recorded, Kentucky and Miami have both lost to unranked teams. Kentucky lost to UCLA in the CBS Sports Classic. Miami lost to New Mexico State in the Diamond Head Classic. So uh, those two, I think, undeniably talented teams now have their first questionable losses of the season and for Miami of course it is the first loss of the season and and they really don't neither team uh, really doesn't have uh, great wins to offset those losses as I wrote earlier in the week uh, neither Kentucky nor Miami have a top 35 Kimpom win right now so they're they're both good teams I think but um, it's December 26 and neither has accomplished much on the court so let's start here in Orlando uh, at this point in the season do you have more questions about Kentucky or about Miami Kentucky, uh, because purely because of the fact that Kentucky is younger, uh, significantly so. Miami's loss was certainly, I mean, I, I'd qualify it as, as shocking. I know New Mexico State has started pretty well under Chris Jans, and that program in general um, has been so good in the in the WAC in recent years. I did not think that they were going to be able to to keep up with Miami. Now, in retrospect, as we record this, New Mexico State actually played USC really, really tight on Christmas and uh, really had a good chance at beating USC, but ultimately fell by five in that game. Um, to win the way that it did over Miami was 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 certainly impressive. Um, but we can circle back to them. Kentucky, I still have more questions on because it, the youth and as we watched that CBS Sports Classic game on Saturday. Um, I was struck by Kentucky's lack of an alpha, uh, its lack of uh, a true dynamic uh, playmaking point guard, which is not a surprise. It's something that has been written about. It's something that we've talked about on this podcast plenty. Um, There is no top 10 lottery pick in the backcourt for Kentucky right now, and I think that is going to be something that prohibits them from winning the SEC. I maintain that opinion going back to the preseason, but I still have plenty of questions about if this team – can truly be a top 15 level team, even though I love Kevin Knox's game and Hamadou Diallo has had some solid stretches here. I think they're both really, really good players. Um, And Diallo, I think, you know, he he can be a a killer when you can get him on the move, but teams have been able to keep Kentucky's most dangerous aspects in relative check so far. Now they don't have a brutal loss. They've only lost to Kansas. It was a close game at the champions classic. You were there for that in November. And then the UCLA game, um, I think it was just a dispiriting loss for Kentucky, especially coming off that home win over a Virginia Tech team that I think will be in the NCAA tournament. But right now, the team is just simply not dominant on either end of the floor. And while Quad A Green looks like a total badass in those sunglasses, I want him to make that a permanent fixture of his game, by the way, because that is such a great look. Um, he can be better, and I think he is better, and he will grow into a better college player ultimately. But uh, but he's not a one-and-done talent. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is lengthy and certainly very intriguing, uh, perhaps even a better pro prospect than Quade, um, just not that kind of guy in this offense right now overall. I do think Nick Richards has become a better player than I thought he would be at this point in the season. But simply, uh, Kentucky's got more questions than Miami, even though both lack elite wins at this point. And now... Uh, we'll get to this eventually on this podcast, but you know, Kentucky has a home game against Louisville, a game that you know, in theory, it should win. But coming off that UCLA performance, I think Wildcat fans are are much more nervous now than they would have been a month ago. 
I do want to get to that Kentucky-Louisville game in a moment because it sets up uh, in a way that, frankly, I didn't really anticipate in, in the preseason. Still just as fascinating, just from a different perspective. But um, as it relates to this question, I think you answered it the same way I would have answered it. I got more questions about Kentucky because here's the truth. They're not great at anything. Like, uh, they're not top 25 in offensive efficiency. They're not top 20 in defensive efficiency. Um, they don't shoot it well from the three-point line. They don't shoot it often from the three-point line. I think they rank 346 in the country in, um, you know, in, in the percentage of their field goal attempts that are actual three-point attempts, which um, is obviously not good with the way basketball is played today. They're, they're, they're a good offensive rebounding team, but in all of the – the ways that, or at least in some of the ways, Kentucky is usually just overwhelming uh, based on the, the natural ability of the, of the players in those uniforms. They're not overwhelming uh, right now. So they're super duper young and yet not, uh, not overwhelming from a talent perspective. And you're exactly right. They got a bunch of five-star guys, but they don't have a guy. You know, there's, there's not an Anthony Davis on this team. There's not a Carl Anthony Towns on this team. There's not a John Wall or DeMarcus Cousins on this team. And I detailed it the morning after the Champions Classic uh, because I was there. And one of the things that was noticeable was, oh, wow, they they don't have that superstar primary ball handler right now. You know, like, you know, last year Kentucky was young too, but they had De'Aaron Fox. You know, they had Malik Monk. They had guys who, you know, Monk could go out and get you 40, like literally could go get you 40. Um, and then De'Aaron Fox was just, again, physically overwhelming, athletically overwhelming for people who tried to guard him. And it was interesting because you watch that Kentucky team then and I think through today, and you go, okay, they don't have that kind of point guard. And when I went and did the research on it, and this may or may not mean anything, but I did find it interesting. Uh, since John Calipari has been at Kentucky, so you know, heading into the 2009-2010 season, he has had a top three freshman point guard in the country, relative, you know, according to the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, a top three freshman point guard every year, except for two years, the year he went to the NIT and this season. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so now the year they went to the NIT, uh, you know, it, it, without context, it doesn't – the context is that Nerland's Noel got hurt. I do think they would have made the NCAA tournament if Nerland's never got hurt. But still, the bottom line is the bottom line. Only two times has John Calipari – uh, been at Kentucky without a top three freshman point guard the year they went to the NIT and this season. And I don't think they're going to the NIT this season. I don't think so. Um, but that is something that's always stayed in the back of my mind. At this moment, they've played four top 75 Ken Palm teams. They're two and two in those games. The wins are over Virginia Tech and Vermont. And they had to come from significantly behind, I believe, to beat Virginia Tech. Definitely from behind to beat Virginia Tech. Just really rally in the second half. And then, you know, they beat Vermont 73-69. So, uh, like, listen, I've still got them ranked in the top 20, uh, but I don't think they're that good right now. And I, I don't think Louisville's that good right now either, so I think they'll probably be fine at Rupp Arena. But uh, this Kentucky team, uh, just because they've got all these five-star guys, what we're finding out is not all five-stars are alike. Not all top two recruiting classes are alike. Because if you don't have, like, guaranteed top ten picks among your freshman five-stars, then the the youth seems to to trump the talent in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. And I think that's what we're finding out right now. We are. Uh, I'll be interested to see how this team, you know, does an SEC play to start um, after the Louisville game. 
a home to Georgia, then at LSU, then at Tennessee, get a home tilt against tough Texas A&M team, then they're at Vanderbilt and they're at South Carolina. Uh, they don't have a lot of room for error uh, in the SEC race um, to start. It's, it's certainly difficult. I think it's easier on the back end than the front end with uh, with Kentucky. Before we circle back to Miami, do you want to hit on uh, Kentucky-Louisville first or do you want to hit the Canes? Well, let's talk Kentucky-Louisville um, for a second because I'm going to be there on Friday. And like I said, it sets up an – an interesting uh, matchup now, not one that I necessarily anticipated. Tip is at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. And the loser's fan base is going to be flipping out at some point on Friday afternoon. Because here's why. If Louisville loses, the Cards will have gone from a preseason top 16 team, they were 16th in the preseason AP poll, to an unranked three-loss team with zero top 80 Ken Palm wins. That's the reality for Louisville if they lose on Friday. They will head into the new year um, unranked as a three-loss team with zero top 80 Ken Palm wins. On the other hand, with Kentucky, if they lose, the Wildcats will have gone from number five in the preseason AP poll to a three-loss team with losses to Kansas, unranked UCLA, and a home loss to their unranked and underwhelming rival. So like I said, somebody's melting down on Friday afternoon. It's either the Louisville fan base or the Kentucky fan base. Yeah, that's, man, good way of putting it, too. And when you look back even further with Louisville before the Patino stuff and the FBI stuff, I mean, that was considered a potential top three team in the country. And if you could have taken the temperature on the on the Cardinals fan base, you know, late August, early September versus where we are now, so, so much has changed here. For David Padgett, the interim head coach, um, his future does not ride on this game, obviously. But winning at Kentucky, uh, and if Louisville was able to get this win and then – certainly have a lot of success within the ACC. I mean, he, he obviously is coaching for his job quite literally this season because uh, that is still a big-time job. It is still a top-ten job in America, and there will not be a shortage of candidates looking for that job, even if the program is hindered a bit by um, NCAA regulations and probations and whatever might still be lingering with the FBI, although I think that is uh, less and less considering that the FBI has, FBI has cleared Bowen and Patino has been excommunicated from the program. Um, it's, it's a very attractive job. And we'll get more into this, I think, as we get closer to February and March. But I did just want to address it real quick because we have not done that on the podcast yet. I think Padgett has done a relatively solid job so far considering everything that he inherited. I mean, he was thrown into a situation where there were, he has no assistance on his staff or on uh, the recruiting trail with him this summer, and he lost Bowen. That's no small thing whatsoever. And he takes over a a, a, a very pressure packed job with a relatively, I think, a relatively difficult non conference schedule. Not overwhelming, not total cupcake. Just you know, I guess as best as you could you could ask for in the position that Padgett was in. You don't want something like Ewing, frankly, at Georgetown because that's an embarrassment of a non conference schedule, and you don't want something totally ridiculous along the lines of of say what Tom Izzo would schedule on a year in and year out basis. But to be ten and two at this point with the respectable road loss against Purdue, and then a one bucket home loss against Seton Hall. I know it stings, but Seton Hall is going to be the NCAA tournament. It's been okay so far overall for Padgett, um, but winning at Kentucky, I think, is is honestly like that will be the bullet point on the resume if he is able to get that and they end up having a pretty decent season if he wants to stay on. No one really knows if he will or if he won't. Um, in regard to the actual game, GP, this is a home game for Kentucky. I think Kentucky has 
I think it has more talent than Louisville, although I don't think the gap is that big at this point. Um, you know, Nas Mahmoud, I think, is like top two, top three in block shots in college basketball. Quentin Snyder has, if anything, been underwhelming to this point. Um, I thought that he had the potential to be a top ten point guard in college hoops this year. He has not been that so far. Dangadell is awesome, but hasn't been as awesome as he he can still even prove to be. Um, I think he can be a little bit of, even of a better shooter. Uh, what I'm saying here is that Louisville has experience, and I think the experience and the talent combined make them to be a uh, a better team than Kentucky, I think, than at least what Kentucky showed. But UK has the home floor. I will take Kentucky to win this game along the lines of... Mm, I, I I don't know. I think it'll be more of a an ugly offensive game than than defensive takeover. So give me Kentucky, say like seventy four, sixty eight, something like that. Um, I like the Wildcats, um, and with that, yes, you are you are very right. Louisville will be ten and three outside of the polls, and will have blown all of its opportunities in the non conference uh, against notable uh, major conference, you know, potential NCAA tournament type teams with Purdue, Seton Hall, Kentucky. No one else on the schedule. Uh, is going to be in the mix for an at-large bid come Selection Sunday in the non-con. This is one of those games where I would take the home team. You know, I don't think there's much difference between these teams right now. They're obviously built differently. Like, can, you know, Louisville's a little older, maybe maybe less talented, although still obviously very talented. Um, Kentucky's the inexperience is, is showing through. They don't have that dominant freshman. Um, if you played this at the Yum Center, I would take Louisville to win it. Uh, I'll take Kentucky only because it's in romp, but let me be on the record. I will not be shocked if Louisville wins this game because, uh, you know, Kentucky has struggled, you know, with with quality basketball teams this year. They 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 struggled with Virginia Tech, they struggled with uh, Vermont. Um, you know, they only beat Harvard, I, I think, seventy nine seventy. And like I said, they don't have great wins on their resume. So this will be, uh, I, I guess, the second best team that they played. Um, outside of Kansas, and they obviously lost that game as well. So um, it's it's going to be a, a a real challenge for them to get out of this, I would assume. But I do think they'll get out of it. Louisville, on the other hand, um, the, like the record looks nice, ten and two, but like I said, no good wins, and they have struggled over the past couple of weeks with a a Memphis team that's not good, with an Albany team that's you know a borderline top one hundred Kimpom team. Either way, you shouldn't be struggling with Albany in the Yum Center if you're Louisville, not under normal circumstances. So I, I do agree with you that David Padgett has done a good job under incredible circumstances. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think this Louisville team is anywhere close to what we thought it was going to be when Rick was the head coach and and, and Brian Bowen was supposed to be a part of it. I, I think they're they're good. I think they'll be in the NCAA tournament. I think they got a chance to win at Rupp Arena. But um, I, I don't think – I think this is true for both these teams right now, You know, Louisville and Kentucky. I don't think either of them – is what we thought they would be, like at this moment, what we thought they'd be, or what most people thought they'd want to be, thought they'd be. I don't want to speak for everybody. And I don't, I think I'm willing to say this. I don't think either one of them is going to reach uh, the, I don't think either one of them will, at the end of the season, be ranked or seated in a way that correlates with what their preseason ranking was. You agree with that? I do agree with that. I think we are headed toward that situation very much so, because even if once you look at Louisville's, I mean, they've got road games at Clemson, Florida State, teams better in the ACC than we thought would be. Uh, those are two of their first three games in the ACC. Soon thereafter is uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, I, I wonder when the last time hmm, – a listener might be able to tell us this because I don't obviously have it in front of me. I wonder when the last time Kentucky and Louisville – they could both be on track to be six seeds or lower in the tournament, in my opinion. Um, 
pot, you know, and I don't want to totally sell Kentucky here. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm. Uh, we have to allow for that possibility, given what we've seen Kentucky is so far and the improvement of the SEC around them. Um, so if we have a situation where Louisville stumbles in the ACC, Kentucky has some success but doesn't win the SEC and its resume just isn't good enough and it winds up with a six seed. I wonder when the last time we had an NCAA tournament where Kentucky and Louisville both were not top five seeds in the big dance. I, uh, I'm intrigued by that. We'll see uh, We'll see what comes of it. Should be an interesting game and you'll be there. By the way, GP, that game is, I think, it's got to be sold out. It's at Rupp. It's always sold out. But with conference sure. season around the corner, people might be looking for tickets to uh, college basketball games in January and February. Plenty of seats still out there. How are they going to go about getting those tickets? Look at you. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. It's the best ticket purchasing app in the whole wide world. You can get tickets to anything, college basketball games, including Louisville, Kentucky at Rupp Arena on Friday, but also NBA games, college football, bowl games, NFL games, concerts. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's promo code COLLEGEBB, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Promo code COLLEGEBB. And to be clear, it doesn't have to be with college basketball tickets. You just use the promo code COLLEGEBB, tickets to anything, your first SeatGeek purchase, you're going to get $20 off of that purchase. Uh, so go download that app, and then remember that SeatGeek saves you time and money. And the reason uh, it does that, the way it does that, is by searching multiple ticket sites for you. So you don't have to go from this side to that side to the next side to this side. You just go to SeatGeek. They'll handle it. They'll search everything for you. They'll make sure you get the, the best deal, get the best seat, you get the best value. You don't have to wonder if you could have got a better seat somewhere else. SeatGeek takes that um, that time out of the equation. So you go there, you know you're getting hooked up, and everything is fully guaranteed. So go download the SeatGeek app, and next time you're going to buy tickets to anything, you check SeatGeek first. And use the promo code COLLEGEBB to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. At SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. There's no college basketball games today, Norlander. December 26, 2017 on this Tuesday. Uh, no Division One college basketball games, I should say. They might be playing at another level. I'm unconcerned. Um, but tomorrow, Wednesday, Big East does get underway. Butler, Georgetown, Villanova, DePaul, Xavier, Marquette. And what you get is, number one, Villanova on the road at DePaul. You get Xavier on the road at Marquette. Now, I, I think they both should win. Obviously, at Marquette's a little more difficult in theory than at DePaul. But still, road games can be tricky. Duke has shown, it that, shown us that uh, already this year. Here's my question for you. The Big East right now, third best league in the country, according to Ken Palm. They got four schools in the top 30 at Kempom. Villanova obviously ranked number one, both in the AP poll, coaches poll, top 25 and one, and at Kempom. Villanova's going for and favored to get a fifth straight Big East title. If I gave you the option right now, you can take Villanova or the field. Which would you take? In the Big East? Yep. Villanova, unquestionably. Really unquestionably, man. Yeah. You don't believe you don't believe in Chris Mack at all. So you so you don't believe in Jay Wright? That's what you're saying, huh? I would take Villanova too. Okay, there we go. So <laughs> I think they're great. They are great. Um, I think they'll win with ease at DePaul. Uh, and yeah, they are going for uh, a fifth straight uh, title, which we've hit on uh, earlier this season. Just that's never been done before. Obviously, it's a different Big East now right. than it was uh, for the previous you know 35 years or so before that. You know, on on that note, real quick, I I um. I was thinking about this earlier because they're going for a fifth straight Big East title, and I don't want to shortchange anybody. Let's look it up. So we're, uh, but it reminds me, not not it's not apples to apples, but everybody remembers the end of John Calipari's run at Memphis. You know, all those thirty win seasons, four straight Sweet Sixteens, three Elite Eights, a national championship game appearance, 
And everybody just sort of remembers like 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, they just took off. When they took off, directly lines up with when Conference USA split apart. In other words, like Louisville left, Marquette left. And I'm not saying that John wouldn't accomplish all those things. I mean, maybe I am saying John would not have accomplished all exactly those things. Exactly what you're saying. <laughs> but, but it like when when the league broke, Memphis under John just took off, and you know it. You you look at Villanova under Jay in the Big East in his one two three four five six seven. Let me count it. One two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve. In his first twelve seasons. They won one Big East title. In the le- in the three seasons before they won this first one of this run, they finished ninth, thirteenth, and seventh. Then the league broke up, broke up, a lot of schools left, and they just took off. It is is a little bit like their dominance in the Big East is a little bit like Memphis's dominance in the C- in CUSA, while recognizing you still got Xavier and Providence and Creighton and other good programs in that league. Where in CUSA. With all due respect to those schools, you really didn't. Like Memphis just overwhelmed them with talent. But Memphis took off when the league broke, just like Villanova took off when the league broke, if that makes sense. Those parallels are correct. But, yes, the situation – Villanova has a much more difficult situation around it. It has schools recruiting at or near the level that Villanova is, and it has – in conference rating itself – I believe the Big East has been a top three league uh, like three of the past four seasons in Sagarin, in Ken Palm, in KPI. In Conference USA, when Memphis started doing that, I would say at absolute best it was seventh or eighth. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I don't mean to, to disagree. I know you're not. I'm just I'm clarifying yeah. the listeners. Right, well. right. So, uh, no, but it's – and still to do it is still impressive. Like, it's of still course. being done. Like, and, and the league has been good, and with what Jay's been able to do – it's been uh, it's been amazing. I do think that Villanova is going to win this conference. Um, real quick, just with those games on Wednesday, um, Nova I think should win at DePaul without much without much difficulty. But um, Butler at Georgetown, you know, a lot of people have rightfully given Georgetown a ton of crap for that non-conference schedule. Well, it gets an opportunity here at home against a Butler team that I'm not certain. Butler is just weird, man. Like I'm not certain they're going to make the tournament. But at the same time, I'm telling you. Butler can lose at Georgetown and then come back on Saturday and beat Villanova at Hinkle. It absolutely can. No one would be surprised by that. And it could make for a really super interesting NCAA tournament resume for Butler down the road if it's able to win a lot of those games at Hinkle in league play. Um, but for Georgetown, this is going to be, hey, you got, the, you got this game on your home floor to start the, the league schedule. Butler's not a great team. It's not a long team. It's not a deep team. It's not an athletic team. What can you do since you, you know, puffed up your record and uh, did good things for team around the non-con? Okay, now league's play is going to start. What are you going to be able to show us? And then Xavier goes to Marquette. Xavier is a much better team than Marquette, but Marquette's got an interesting challenge here. I mean, they've got the home floor. That's an 8:30 tip on Wednesday night, and they've played. They played decently against some good teams, right? I mean, I remember they beat VCU. They lost to Purdue big, I think. I remember Purdue went up there early. Um, so, But their their offense is good. Marcus Howard, I don't think, has missed a freaking free throw yet this season. Uh, and he's a really good three-point shooter. So Xavier's in a, in a tricky spot as well. So it could be a situation where Big East play opens. You might have some of the higher-ranked uh, teams or you know in, in the ratings and whatnot uh, wind up losing to uh, inferior opponents, but that's because they are on the road. 
Um, should be a fun year in the Big East. And, uh, yeah, I will be at that Butler-Villanova game at Hinkle on Saturday. So we'll see how uh, those teams respond. I would think Villanova, by the way, will not travel back home. I, I would think they would just go to DePaul, Chicago, and then kind of hang out and stay in the area and then go to Butler two days later. Um, it would be a wild way to start Big East play uh, under a new coach to lose to perhaps the team that's going to finish last in the Big East. That'd be Georgetown. And then back it with a win over the team that is perhaps going to win the Big East. That would be Villanova. Uh, but I agree with you. That is certainly in the cards for, for Butler. My guess is they sneak out of Georgetown with a win, then lose at Hinkle. I just don't think they're – like I understand Hinkle magic or is that Hilton magic? That's Hilton what? magic, yeah. <laughs> but can it, certainly we've seen magic inside Hinkle as well. No, there's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Hinkle has its own magic. I mean, perhaps not Hilton magic, but it has its own magic. Have you been in either of those buildings? I've been to Hinkle multiple times. Yeah, I've been to Hinkle. I've never been to Hilton. Never been to Hilton. I would. I told Fred Hoiberg, I think, every year, for every year that he was there, that, hey, yeah, I'm going to get to Ames this year. Just never made it. Just like it just never happened. Yeah. It's one of my big disappointments in life. Real quick, I, would, I would like to get there. It's an amazing college basketball. So would I. Like, Absolutely. There's, there's, yeah. I, I, I would love to get there. Um, hey, let's uh, let's just wrap up real quick and uh, let's just discuss your Christmas because I know you want to. You're down there oh. in Disney. I don't know what the hell you're doing. Oh, no. I, I wasn't going to discuss my Christmas, uh, but, but I'm happy to. Yeah, we came to Disney World for uh, Christmas, wife and uh, three kids. Uh, so we, we went to – I know we talked about this in the past. Why? Oh well, my three-year-old. Yeah, well, no, no. Forget about that. How did you do? How did you do presents? We okay. So we have a teenager. We have four. We have a fourteen-year-old, a, a, a three-year-old who turns four tomorrow, and then a one-year-old. So the fourteen-year-old, like he's over it, right? Like he just doesn't. He, like he he's not. He's over it. Like as long as you give him gift cards and stuff, he's happy. So like that's easy. And uh, the three-year-old, you know, like. They have so much stuff right. that he just needs a handful of things, like just something to – he just needs when his eyes open to be able to see, oh, wow, there are new things here. Santa Claus came. Like so it doesn't have to be all this crazy stuff because he already knows he's got all this crazy stuff. Our house is filled with crazy stuff. So it, you know, I, honestly, we packed like one suitcase of small toys that could easily travel, uh, things that he wanted, and, and, and put them in front of him, mostly packed for him. And he was perfect, like could not have been Good. happier. Yeah, it was easy. And then the one-year-old, he doesn't know anything. Yeah, so, little like, Louis. Well, yeah, little Louis got no idea what's happening. So, um, yeah, so we did that. And then we went to the Magic Kingdom on Christmas Day, which I can say um, makes for nice Instagram pictures. Um, is, a, is, a, is a nice thing to say you've done, at least in theory. <laughs> But it is not a good experience. It's a way better idea than experience. There's a whole they, bunch of people go, right? I mean, dude. I mean, okay. First off, you're driving into Magic Kingdom. Two miles out of the actual entrance is is bumper to bumper traffic. Like not oh like you 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 can't move. I mean, it's like you're bumper to bumper for two miles just to get in the place. It probably took a good forty five minutes just to get in the park once you were two miles away from the park. And this is on Christmas Day. Literally Christmas Day, yeah. So they had to close the park yesterday, in, in the sense that you know, hey, no, if you wanted to, like by eleven a.m., get into the Magic Kingdom, they would not, they you couldn't, you could buy a ticket to get in. It's like it's over with. They nobody else can can come in this place right now, and I think they actually ended up um, closing every 
Disney World Park except for Epcot. So Hollywood Studios closed, Animal Kingdom closed. It, it, like no more, no more people can come in to pack. And at Magic Kingdom, like you could not uh, just just think of this for a second. If you're standing up and you just stretch your arms out, like to the left and to the right, you could never. There was no place or time when you could ever do that without hitting somebody. Under like there's nowhere to go. Sounds like hell. I mean, dude, if you just wanted to walk from one side of the park to the other side of the park. It was like bumper to bumper traffic, and forget it. Like try it with a stroller. And you're, yeah, I was just gonna say you got you got uh, you know a, a one year old and you got a, a toddler. Like yeah, no, it? the way we strapped Louie to Kelly and let her carry him around yeah, and put nice Oliver, yeah, and put Oliver. But and I pushed the stroller, put Oliver in the stroller, and like, but it was just here's the honest to god truth. We got up, we got out there, we saw the Christmas Day parade, which was nice. Uh, you know, Oliver got to see Mickey and and Buzz and Woody and everybody he wanted to see. And by about three o'clock in the afternoon, we left. It's like this is just—it's not—it's not fun. I, like I told Kelly, like we can stay here, and just to do it because, like, hey, it's Christmas. We're at Disney World. We can't leave. We were at the Magic Kingdom, but it will not be a fun experience. Like you can only get so many fast passes, and if you didn't have a fast pass, it is insane to try to get on a ride. Like you want to wait two hours to do a four-minute ride? Like no chance, especially not with a three-year-old and a, yeah. and a one-year-old. So it was like, oh, and every restaurant completely filled up. Couldn't get anyone. Like, if you wanted to go sit down and eat somewhere, no chance. <laughs> like, impossible. So, like, we left about, you know, mid-afternoon and just said, you know what? It, we were there. We did it. We can always say we did it. We got the pictures to prove it. But, like, let's 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 go have a, a better rest of Christmas Day than, you know, being in the hot sun, so, you know, where you can't move. And you can't do – you really can't do anything. There's nothing to do. So it was, uh, yeah, I would not recommend it, um, but but we still had an awesome day. I'm sure you it was did, just, but yeah, yeah, I, just no, don't get, yeah. I just don't get the Disney thing, man. I just don't get it at all. You know what? I don't, I don't, well, you'll get it when your son starts watching Disney and like loves all of the characters and like it was worth it. And Kelly pointed this out. Like we're watching the parade and then, and, and like Mickey comes like right in front of us and, and Woody comes right in front of us and Goofy comes right in front of us, Pluto and all these guys, right? And Oliver's face is just lighting up. And he's like, Dada, look, it's Mickey. Dada, look, it's uh, Minnie. Like he's screaming. He's so excited. Like he just saw the Beatles walk in or something. Yeah. And it's worth it. It's worth it for that. You know, I think your son might be a little too young for that yet. Right? Yeah. He's uh, he's all about Paw Patrol, man. Like, oh, dude. Know. that Oh, that's the that's the one big toy we brought. Paw Patrol. That Santa yeah. brought. Loves Paw Patrol. I read this interesting article about Paw Patrol and just like how it started and like how it's just taken over the world. Because, dude, you've probably noticed this. Cannot walk in a in a, a place of retail without something Paw Patrol in there. And then my son's got the eagle eyes, and I, he'll just he'll just notice it immediately. I won't. It will take me. I'm not exaggerating, GP. We have been in multiple stores that that were not toy stores. They were just grocery stores, drug stores, or whatever. He will go, Marshall, or yeah. the Paw Patrol, and I yeah. will look for 10 to 15 seconds, and I will see, oh, there's a Paw Patrol toothbrush 15 feet away. The oh, yeah. only he, thing Paw Patrol in the entire aisle, and he will spot it there. It's absolutely wild how that – like the Disney thing has like a almost like a, a cult-like power over people. I'm telling you this Paw Patrol thing is taking over the universe, man. No, we we we've got Paw Patrol too, and like that's the other place where they get you at these at these theme parks, is like when you get off a ride, 
you don't just exit in back into the park. You exit into a store. Oh my gosh! You have to, you have to, like, you get off the ride, you walk, and then you're in a store. You can't get out without going through a store. And by a store, I mean it's like, hey, you just rode the Buzz Lightyear ride. Now here's a million Buzz Lightyear toys. Yep. And you got your kids, and so like your kids are screaming, like, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. It's like you can't get out of the ride without dropping fifty bucks on something. Uh, I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing's a, like, the whole thing's a scam, man. Oh. <laughs> Particularly when you can't move, uh. like it, it's a little. It felt like being in one of those Vegas nightclubs, like you don't, but you don't have a VIP booth. Yes, and, and you're just and you're just standing on like shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of idiots. And like, there's that's no what, bottle that's service. The, yes. Yeah, no, I have my own bottle service. We snuck a bottle in. <laughs> of course you did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing: they, you can you're allowed to bring your own bottles of water into Disney World. Any of the theme parks, you can bring your own bottle of water. So you can just get like eight bottles of water, except one of them's got New Amsterdam <laughs> vodka, so smooth you can drink it straight. You just have to you just have to remember which one it is, or else you know you'll have your three year old taking a swig of yeah, vodka. And that's can't, not. Can't that's that. a that's a rough deal, oh, right? Man. So uh, anyway, it was fine. Nothing that a bottle of vodka. Hidden in a water bottle can't get you through, Norlander. Guess not. All right. And so, uh, so yeah, we've recorded this podcast here, obviously, because you've been listening to it. And then we are going to record another one Wednesday morning. And that is a promise because our schedules this week are insane. And we absolutely have to record one on Wednesday morning. So I wanted to touch on the uh, the Christmas stuff on this one tomorrow. Well, you'll have to wait and see and be surprised by the content Ooh. of that one. And then uh, – because you still got another day of Disney ahead of you before the next podcast. So yes, we are still headed to. Well, I guess you have Hollywood two, right? Studios. You're doing something today and tomorrow. You know what we decided today is that we we didn't want to rush and go do another theme park all day today. Yeah, it's just too much. Like they like they, even the kids are like, we're standing. At a, we got a really nice resort. It's got like a big pool with like a play area and like slides and stuff. And so the kids just want to hang out at the pool. And so we're gonna just hang out at the pool. And then go do a nice lunch and then go pop around town, like maybe downtown Disney or something. But the kids just did not want to go to another theme park today, three days in a row. Because yep. we did Animal Kingdom the first day. We did Magic Kingdom yesterday. So we're going to go to, what is it, Hollywood Studios, I guess, tomorrow. So we'll do that tomorrow. So, um, yeah, we got to do it early tomorrow because I am headed to stand in lines again all day. Woohoo! Lovely. I know. That's all I got, man. That's all I got, man. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to... Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. Please go do that. Rate it favorably. And by favorably, I mean five stars. Five stars and nice comments about me. If you want to add nice things about Norlander, that's fine, but not required, but also fine. Just either way, go do something. And we'll talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.